Well, folks, welcome to the witchiest month of them all. It's October, and I don't know about you, but it is my favorite time of year. There's nothing like crisp, cool air and the beautiful leaves falling from the sky. And it just, it's just a perfect time to start a podcast, isn't it? Absolutely. So I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. Welcome to our listeners. Um, this is the launch of Cauldron Conversations, and we hope you'll pull up a chair and uh, have a chat with us. We are going to try to cover um, Samhain because it's October, and that is what we witches and pagans call Halloween, and who doesn't love Halloween? So we're going to talk about Samhain for a bit and its history, but we're also going to talk a little about the Wheel of the Year because that gives us some perspective on Samhain and why it is October 31st. Our ancestors did not have calendars as we do on our phones and on the refrigerators. True. They kept time by the passing of the seasons, the planting and harvesting of the crops, and the solar and lunar cycles. Who doesn't like watching the moon? Oh, absolutely. Have you seen the full moon these past few nights? The super moon? Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. In fact, where we live here, you know, we have all these trees behind our house. And so the moon is its biggest when it's just over the horizon. And I don't see the moon here until it's way up above the trees. And it's a lot smaller in the sky then. But there's a place not far from here where we can drive and there's a road where there's this big opening mm. and we can see the moon. And so I was in the car the other night driving over there and it was so pretty. I called back home and I said, does anybody want to come? I'll come pick you up because it was too pretty a moon to miss. It was just gorgeous. I hate that you have to travel to see it, but at least. Yeah, I mean, it's great when it's up high, but when I want to see it, when it's real big on the horizon, that's when I hop in the car and, and go. And with the solar and lunar cycles, in other words, they did pay attention to the rhythm of nature. They had to. Their lives depended on it. Really? They had to harvest those crops and plant those crops. To ancient peoples, the time was not linear like it is for us today. But, you know, sometimes I think as I've gotten older and have gotten more in touch with the seasons, I like that you know, marking the passing of time by the seasons. Maybe it's because I'm getting older and it helps me not feel so old. I catch myself doing things that normally I would have scheduled mm -hmm. according to the year. And yeah. now I catch myself doing them without even thinking about it. Right, right. And that's one of the benefits, I think, of embracing those seasonal cycles. Makes it easy to remember to do certain things. Um, so the Wheel of the Year is, is a pretty old concept. It goes back to ancient peoples, but many pagans, neo-pagans, if you will, witches and Wiccans, celebrate the Wheel of the Year these days. It's based on the equinoxes, the solstices, and the midpoints. So we have Yule, which is what most people know as Christmas, Imbolc, and Ostara. Ostara is usually right around Easter, and that brings us to Beltane on May 1st, which a lot of people celebrate as May Day. The summer solstice is called Litha on the Wheel of the Year. Lamas is the first harvest. 
Mabin is the second harvest and also the autumn equinox. And then that wraps the year up with Samhain. Samhain is one of the fire festivals along with Imbolc, Beltane, and Lamas. And so those are the Sabbaths, the holidays that many witches celebrate throughout the year. And you'll see where some of them line up with other holidays, like Yule being at Christmas time. And, of course, Samhain is Halloween. With the wheel of the year, the colors that we choose to decorate are the colors that are found in nature. The red and green at Christmas for the evergreens and the holly berries. For Easter and a star, the color of spring flowers. This time of year, the gourds, pumpkins, autumn leaves for Samhain and Halloween. You don't have to be pagan or Wiccan to create your own rituals or decorate. Um, For this season, you probably already do. Many people decorate with fall mums, use traditional fall colors when decorating during the autumn season. Even wearing fall colors can enhance a ritual or be a ritual within itself. And you know, that makes me think of a shirt that I bought years ago. Well, not too many years, but I still love it. It's this, like a heather pattern. And it's the color of pumpkin with a little bit of gray and black worked in. And I have a beautiful scarf that goes with it. And I just feel when I wear that like I've just completely embraced the season. It just, I don't know. I think you made a good point by saying that we wear those colors for ritual because it changes our energy, I think. It changes the way we feel when we wear those those colors that are appropriate for purpose. Basically, in witchcraft, the rule is there are no rules. Very true. The Wheel of the Year connects us with the cycles of nature and keeps us in tune with the earth. And that's really important, I think. It helps keep us in balance, too. I know one of the things I enjoy about spring is getting out and digging in the earth when I'm planting new flowers and planting vegetables and herbs. It it does help us stay in touch with, with with the earth. My favorite time of the year are the burr months, Mm -hmm. but in the spring and summer, there's nothing like getting my hands in the soil. Oh, that's true. And I love the smell of the earth after it rains in the spring and summer. It's just, I don't know, I don't know how to describe that smell, but I just love it. Well, as we said, we're coming up on Samhain, which most people know is Halloween. It's gone by many names over many, many years. It's been All Hallows Eve. Halloween, Savin, and of course Halloween and Samhain. And yes, we pronounce it Samhain. It's not Samhain. I remember seeing a TV show one time where somebody called it Samhain and I about exploded. I was like, no, no, it may be spelled that way, but that is not how you say it. But anyway, it is believed by some people that oral histories date Samhain at about 4000 BCE. There are plenty who disagree with that though because that is from oral histories, not written histories. We do know that thousands of years ago, tribal people split the year in half. In spring, around what we now celebrate as Beltane or May Day, they released animals from the safe enclosure to graze on open land. The new vegetation ensured survival of the people and animals. It was considered the light half of the year, days getting longer, more sunlight. Then in autumn, around Samhain, the second half marker was for the fall, 
around October 31st. People brought their animals back into safe closures for the colder, darker months. In the dark half of the year, the days are getting shorter. There's more darkness. I don't know about you, but magic seems stronger. It seems like I'm stronger that time of year. You know, I feel the same way. And I've always wondered, is it because there's more darkness and it's cooler? Or is it because that's my favorite time of year? I love like the er months, like you said. And I just love fall and winter. But I do. I feel like my magic is stronger in those cooler, darker months. I feel bad for people who have seasonal affective disorder because I love it when it gets dark earlier. I do. I don't know what it is about it, but maybe that's just part of being a witch. I don't know. And back to oral histories that were eventually written down, both Beltane and Samhain were marked with bonfires and dancing. And there's nothing like a good bonfire. Got that right. It's just so much fun. I know people who really enjoy the dancing around the bonfire, especially at Beltane. The Celts were an ancient people who lived in today's Scotland, Wales, and France. There are some historical accounts of, at one period in time, the Celts reaching down as far as Spain. And I had no idea that they had spread that far. But that was really cool when I actually heard that recently on a documentary I was watching. That's good to know. I did not know that either. Yeah. The Celts didn't write down their history, but the Druids kept an oral history and passed it down from generation to generation. Around 2300 BCE, the Celts added their own customs to those early ancient celebrations in spring and fall, and they named the fall holiday Samhain. In modern Irish, Samhain translates to summer's end. So it kind of marked the end of the summer months and marked the beginning of the Celtic New Year, which happened at Samhain. The celebrations began at sundown, and people would put out their hearth fires in their homes. So later that night, they could relight those fires from the central fire that was tended by the Druids during their celebrations. And... I think that was a way for them to bring that magic, that um, that energy into their homes to help them through the long winter because they would keep those hearth fires burning night and day throughout those cold winter months. Also, that may be a way of them feeling connected to each other because during the cold and harsh winters, they couldn't get to their neighbors like we do today. I didn't even think about that but yeah that makes a lot of sense and it would kind of serve as a connection for them that all of their fires in their homes were lit from the same fire I love that but for those Celts winter time was a time to plan for the future I think they maybe understood that new beginnings can come from darkness and I do a lot of my planning during those colder months I work on a lot of projects Maybe it's because, you know, I'm not out gardening and doing other things. But winter tends to be a very productive time for me. And Samhain, we're going into that. And I find myself making these lists of things that I want to do during those colder months. I find myself completing things around this time of year. And that's like Samhain is considered the final harvest. Mm -hmm. People slaughtered livestock and harvested crops before October 31st. 
it was not specific date, but it had to be done before freezing weather arrived or there would be no food for the winter months. Any crops that were harvested after that time were left in the fields as food for the fae, for the fairies. The ancient Celts believed if you took anything from the fields after Samhain, you would be cursed. Well, I wouldn't be taking anything from that field then. No way. <laughs> I don't want to mess with curses. We'll cover those in another episode. <laughs> the holidays association with the dead also began with the ancient Celts. They understood that the veil between the living and the dead became thinner that time of year. And they considered that thinning of the veil to be like a mystical break in time. And I think that's really a cool way to look at it because it does seem kind of magical when you step into that area in the veil. They believed that this thinning of the veil allowed them to have access to the dead. So it was kind of a point outside of time for them when they could communicate with their deceased ancestors. As the Celtic religious system grew, beliefs about the dead and the afterlife grew and spread. But there was no heaven or hell in their belief system, and they didn't fear the dead, and they didn't fear death, like a lot of people seem to now. They also believed that Samhain was a sacred time because the dead could visit the earth. Eventually, there came a custom of leaving food out for the dead, a token, so to say, to welcome those who had died and were near on Samhain. These visits led to the belief that those who had passed beyond the veil had knowledge of the past and the future. And so divination became a custom of Samhain. People carved turnips and potatoes to scare away the evil spirits that had crossed the veil. Candles were put in windows to light the way for the spirits of the loved ones to come back. I can understand that, though, that, that um, we miss our loved ones when they, when they go. The Celts did not believe in the devil or in demons, but they did believe in fairies who lived in the in-between. That was the land between the living and the dead. Or I guess I should say the in-between is the land between the living and the dead, because I don't know about you, but I sure do believe in fairies. Absolutely. And I want to keep them out of my house, not in the house. I, I feel the same way. I I know we have friends who work with the Fae and, you know, have fairy doors and welcome into their house. And I respect them. I think they're wonderful, beautiful creatures. But I'm with you. I want them outside my house, not inside. The Celts arrived in Ireland around 1000 BCE. And so the Celtic customs kind of melded together with the Irish customs around that time of year. And actually, the story of the jack-o'-lantern is from Ireland. And when you and I were doing research and, and working on our plans for this episode, I had kind of forgotten about that. Because when the girls were little, I used to tell them the story of the jack-o'-lantern at Halloween. And one of my daughters reminded me about that. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I, f I had totally forgotten about it. Because I guess as they got older and became adults... I stopped reading that story on Halloween. And you introduced it to me. I'd never heard it. Well, I'm going to introduce it to our listeners because I think it's a really neat story. So I am going to read that now. Please do. All right. Here we go with the story of the jack-o'-lantern. According to an Irish legend, there was once a man named Jack who was very tight with his money. 
so much so that he was often called Stingy Jack. He decided to invite the devil to have a drink with him, but Jack didn't want to pay for it. He asked the devil to turn himself into a coin so Jack could use it to pay for the drinks. The devil did so, but then Jack, instead of using the coin to pay for the drinks, decided to keep it. He put it next to a cross in his pocket, which prevented the devil from turning back into his true form. Jack eventually let the devil free, but only on the condition that the devil would not bother Jack for a year, and that if Jack died, the devil would not take his soul. The story goes on to tell that a year later, Jack tricked the devil into climbing a tree in order to pick a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved a cross into the bark of the tree so that the devil could not climb back down. Jack eventually let the devil come back down after he promised that he would leave Jack alone for 10 years. When Jack died, God would not let him into heaven. The devil, who was angry over the tricks that Jack had played on him, and honoring his promise not to claim Jack's soul, would not allow Jack into hell. Instead, he sent Jack away on a dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Legend says that Jack carved out a turnip, put the coal into it, and has been walking the earth ever since. Over time, the Irish began to refer to this ghost of Jack as Jack of the Lantern, which was eventually shortened to Jack-o'-lantern. So that is the story of the Jack-o'-lantern. In Ireland and Scotland, as time passed, people began carving those faces on turnips and potatoes and placed them in their window to scare away ghosts and evil spirits. Immigrants from these areas eventually came to the United States. When they discover how plentiful pumpkins were here, they began carving their jack-o'-lanterns in pumpkins. And that is how we came to have jack-o'-lanterns. Over time, Samhain celebrations placed more emphasis on honoring the dead and eventually grew into other religious celebrations in other parts of the world. Day of the Dead in Mexico, All Saints Day in Christianity, Chinese Ming Ching Tomb Sweeping Day. Around the 4th and 5th century, Christianity began to clash with the Celtic beliefs and practices. The Celts welcomed other people's beliefs, but Christians did not. When the Celts refused to accept Christian beliefs and customs, priests and the clergy told them that fairies were devils and demons and the dead were ghouls. It was in ancient practices that Halloween costumes are rooted. In the early celebrations, people wore costumes made from animal skins to hide themselves from unwanted spirits. And they did something called guising in Scotland and England. They wore fancy dress and masks and visited homes at Halloween. In the Middle Ages, there was something called mumming, where people dressed as demons and ghosts and performed on Samhain for food and drink. In other cultures, people went door to door and offered prayers for loved ones who died during the past year in exchange for food. These things were a precedent to what we know as trick-or-treating today. While I think some of us lean more into the honoring dead aspects of Halloween or Samhain, some people just lean, lean into the fun because it really is a fun, fun holiday, especially if you have, have kids. I used to have the best time with my girls. I would make costumes and, um, you know, go trick-or-treating and, and, of course, jack-o'-lanterns. 
I still love jack-o'-lanterns, even at the age I am now. And some of my favorite memories when my children were growing up were making jack-o'-lanterns. And they would always laugh at me when they were little because I hated putting my hand in, you know, and scooping out the icky stuff. I couldn't stand that, and they would always laugh at me. And then they got old enough that I let them scoop the stringy bits out of of the jack-o'-lanterns. Good for you. Sal and Spencer and I will always do a jack-o'-lantern. He always opts for the traditional jack-o'-lantern face, but I always have to branch out a little bit. It doesn't always turn out good, but it's okay. It is. But anyway, if we fast forward a few centuries here in the United States, immigrants brought all those customs from their countries, and they combined and created what we have today as Halloween. As to the name Halloween, in the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a day to honor the saints. It became known as All Saints Day and incorporated some of the Salem customs. There was no accident as the church was still trying to assimilate pagan peoples. The Christians needed a holiday to absorb the pagan holiday, but it didn't quite work out that way. All Saints Day became known as All Hallows Day from the word hallowed. The night before became known as All Hallows Eve, which eventually became Halloween, then Halloween. It's important to note Samhain was New Year's Eve to Celts. They celebrated the New Year after the final harvest, today which is Witches New Year. You know, that kind of works for me. Because I understand why they made it New Year's Eve. Because they have wrapped up their season. They have finished their harvest. They have stored their food. They've brought in the animals. They're ready for winter. And for me, my... I don't know how to describe it. But for me, that late October, early November, I feel like I'm starting anew as well. And it's really not that far off from the January 1st that's on our modern calendar for New Year's. But there's something different about going into those darker months from the beginning, from October, November. It just feels like a new start for me. It resonates with me, too, having the New Year start in October. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it's a good time. Let's talk about things to remember about Samhain. Well, it's a great time to remember our deceased loved ones, and even to communicate with them with the veil being thin. And it's an excellent time for divination because the veil is thin, and I can feel it thinning. I can too. It's uh, If you're real sensitive to energies, I, I think you probably can feel when the veil is thinning. Well, I think we already mentioned that it marks the summer's end and the beginning of the Celtic New Year. It's a great time for us to reaffirm our belief in the oneness of all spirits and remember that physical death is not that final act of existence. There's more that comes after that. And it's the halfway mark between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. And it's a fire festival. Love fire. (laughs) Lots of people do spring cleaning, but autumn is also a good time to do a big cleaning of your house just prior to Samhain to go through, get rid of things you don't need anymore, things that no longer serve you, and just do a good cleaning. It's a great way to start a fresh new year. I do more fall cleaning than spring cleaning. It's a good time for goal setting. For moving into winter months, it's a great time for introspection. 
when we celebrate Samhain, we're going into a time of year when the days are shorter, the nights are longer, and there's more darkness. And so I think there's more mystery there. And it's a time when we might think of, of death more. The ancient people certainly did because more people died in the winter because of exposure to cold or a lack of food. So I, I think that's how maybe it got associated with the darkness and the colder months. And then Beltane marks coming out of the dark winter and into the light of summer and the longer days. I like to think of Samhain as standing on the threshold between life and death, also as the keeper of the mysteries of birth, life, death, and rebirth. Well, and I think being able to talk to our ancestors or at least do something to honor and remember them reminds us of that cycle of life and death and rebirth. So there are lots of ways that we can celebrate Samhain. One of the things I like to do, and I think probably a lot of people do, is I set up an ancestor altar. I'll put out pictures of, of loved ones, of family members and friends who have passed on. And sometimes I'll even put out something that represents them, not necessarily a photograph. And I also have a candle that I burn on my ancestor altar. There's this wonderful herb mixture that you gave me, Sophie, that is intended to use with an ancestor candle. And it's just wonderful, and I love it. We'll put a recipe of that on our Facebook page and on our website. So if you're interested in dressing an ancestor candle for your altar at Samhain, you can use that if you'd like, and we will include instructions. So what are some things you like to do? I like to go over what I call my Samhain assessments. What are Samhain assessments? It's when I review my year since last Samhain. And I honor the things that I have received and achieved, and I honor the things that need to be let go, the things that need to die. Okay, so that's what a lot of people do really at New Year's. Um, so that really fits that we talk about. We look at the things that we've done in the past and need to leave behind and then look forward to the future and the things we want to bring into our lives. Exactly. And also in the process, I like making peace with anyone that I've crossed paths with that are dead or alive. You know, I really like that idea. I never thought about peacemaking as being something we could do at Samhain, but I really like that. Because looking at it from that perspective, I can think of generational trauma in my own family involving people that have already passed on. And to see Samhain as an opportunity for peacemaking, it might also be a great time to work on breaking generational trauma. That's great. What a healing experience. Yeah, I think it really could be. It really could be. For anyone that has passed since last Samhain, whether it's a loved one, human, or pet, we will have a dinner. Not a dumb dinner, because we like to speak of special memories, but we'll have their favorite foods and beverages or their favorite treats for the pets. Mm -hmm. And on a piece of paper, we will place their names and put them under the plate or their treat plate. And then after, we'll take it outside for the spirits or for the animals. Okay. And then any libation, any drinks, we'll pour under the tree. Mm -hmm. Because trees will recycle anything that's alcoholic that anything in nature shouldn't have. Yeah, trees are great for transmuting energy of all kinds. Kimberly, we also enjoy visiting cemeteries for spirit photography. You know, I remember when I first learned spirit photography at a class that you and I were taking years and years ago. We went to a cemetery and learned, but I 
really remember a Halloween party you and I were at years ago. You and Spencer had stopped on the way there at a cemetery to take pictures. And when you got to the party, you showed a bunch of us this picture you had taken of Spencer. And he had orbs all around his head. I have never seen that many orbs on one person, ever. And it was just the coolest thing. The spirits do love Spencer. You know, I think they really do. Otherwise, they wouldn't just cling to him like that. But I don't know if you remember that picture. There was one of those orbs that when you zoomed in on it, it almost had like a face in it. It was just the coolest thing. I know. I shouldn't say this, but I'm a little jealous. <laughs> no, I, I get that. Because we would like to think that we're the kind of person that the spirits would love and that orbs would surround us. But um, he's definitely got it going on. He sure does. Another thing we like to do is to let go of anything, any situations, a person, a bad habit that no longer serves us. Um, we'll write it on a piece of paper and burn it in a candle or a mini cauldron. Or if we do a fire pit or a bonfire, have a stick and representation of what we're wanting to let go mm -hmm. and break it and burn it. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I'm going to have to try this year when I have my little fire pit going on Samhain. It's also a great time to spend with, with our chosen family or our circle. And when I set up my altar, I like to decorate it with those seasonal colors. Um, I love the colors of autumn. So I will put mums and flowers that are blooming in the fall on my altar. And they just look nice there with the pictures of my deceased loved ones, like my grandparents and my father. And I have my candle burning. And the one thing I really like doing on Samhain night is I like to sit outside if the weather's nice, or I'll do it inside, but I prefer going outside and sitting with my ancestors. My youngest daughter calls it my family reunion. That's beautiful. I enjoy it, and my dog is, is so cool about magical things. It's like he picks up the energies, and he likes to come out there and sit with me, too, on Samhain, and he just sits real quiet, you know, while I'm sitting there having a conversation with my ancestors. Animals do seem to pick up on a lot of things. They really do. Really do. I'm a fall freaky geek, and you know that. <laughs> I do. I like to decorate the latter part of August and wait until September for the Halloween and Samhain decor. I usually do my autumn decorations in early September, and then as I get to the latter part of September, I put up my Halloween decorations, but you really can't do it too early because Halloween decorations are just so much fun. The traditional colors for Samhain are really the colors that we see in nature this time of year. Just think about all the trees dropping their leaves, those golds and reds and oranges. And we can use things like corn husks or corn husk dollies to decorate with. And then, of course, pumpkins and apples and autumn leaves. Just the things found in nature. And jack-o'-lanterns, of course. Can't do without jack-o'-lanterns. And then there are the crystals and stones. Associated with Halloween and Samhain, there's amethyst. I love amethyst. It, it has a strong psychic connection, and I think it represents the psychic gifts that we have. And that really makes it a great stone for Samhain, don't you think? Because it's a great time for divination, and the amethyst connects us to our psychic abilities. It does. And then obsidian, which is not a stone. It's actually volcanic glass, and that's used for scrying and grounding. 
black tourmaline is protective and repels negativity? That is my favorite stone for repelling negativity. It, it really is. Even my husband keeps one in his pocket because it's just so good at, at keeping the negative energy away. And the relationship he has with black tourmaline is amazing. I think I told you about when he came to me and held the black tourmaline out that he had in his pocket and said, do something with this. It stinks. And I said, what do you mean it stinks? And he said, well, smell it. And I did. And I didn't smell anything. And I was like, what? And he said, it smells like rotten earth. And I was like, this is so cool. You can actually smell the energy in a stone. And so I taught him how to clear the energy out. But I just think it's really cool that he can can do that. That is. And then there's bloodstone. It heightens intuition. And amber is a healing stone and is considered a stone of renewal. I love amber. It's, it's one of my favorites. I like moonstone too. And it's associated with intuition and fortune telling. So if you want to get into divination on Halloween, a moonstone would be a good stone to wear or to have in your pocket or in your hand. And thinking of the fires of Samhain, carnelian stokes your energetic fire, making it a great stone for setting goals and for the new year. And I don't know if you've noticed, so many of these stones have the colors that we associate with this time of year. The, the amber, that golden color, and the dark stones, the, like the black tourmaline and the, and the obsidian, and the amethyst is purple. And so there's also orange calcite. It's orange, but it also inspires and helps us get our creative juices flowing. So it's a good choice as we move into a time of setting goals and helps us when we're working on projects. Many of these stones are the colors that we associate with Samhain, like you said. There are many others you can use at Samhain. Just go with what resonates with you at the sacred time. Absolutely. Like you said earlier, there are really no rules. So if you want to put red on your autumn altar or your ancestor altar for Samhain, because it has a particular representation to you, I say go for it. Well, I think of red as a color for this time of year. There are many leaves that pick up the red and orange tones. That's true. I didn't think about that because there's a tree in my front yard that drops these gorgeous blood red leaves. And then there are the animals associated with Samhain. The bats and the cats, especially those black cats, (laughs) of which I have a few. Then crows and ravens and cattle. Well, my favorites on that list are crows and ravens. I just, I love them kind of a neat story I'm not sure if I've told you this before or not but I used to be afraid of birds and I just grew up absolutely terrified of birds and gosh I don't know how many years ago it was it was probably about 14 or 15 years ago I noticed crows started gathering in my backyard I'd be looking out the kitchen window and there'd be all these crows out there and I really can't say what prompted me to do this but I started going outside and would throw out bread for the crows because I thought, you know, they might like some some bread to eat. And then I would come back inside and watch them swoop down and eat it. And then I got a little braver and I would throw the bread out and stay outside. And over time, working with the crows, I was able to get over my fear of birds. And so I just love them. What a wonderful bird to help you get over your phobia. And they still come to visit. And I, I feed them peanuts now instead of bread. There are also lots of great herbs and plants and trees that are associated with Samhain. Mugwort in particular is good for doing ancestor work. And rosemary is a favorite of mine for warding and protection. You do want to protect yourself at Samhain because there are evil spirits out there that we don't want around. 
And also rosemary is used for remembering, so we can use that to remember our ancestors. I grow rosemary in my herb garden, and I also grow rue. It's an incredibly protective herb, and it's a good choice for doing protection work to keep evil spirits away on Samhain. It's also historically been used to banish evil. Rue's one of my favorites. Kalinja is another good flower at Samhain. It's often a yellowish-orange color, not always, but that's a common color of calendula, which makes it fit right in with the season. It's also a great herb for enhancing our psychic powers. Chrysanthemums are associated with metaphysical protection, and bay leaves have long been believed to heighten psychic abilities, good to use for divination work on Samhain. Bay leaves are great for lots of things. Lots of things that people don't really realize. They are. Wormwood is an herb that can actually be used to summon the dead, but do not burn it. Its fumes can be toxic because it contains oils that are poisonous. So be careful about that. And this is just a really good opportunity to remind everybody, always be sure you know the plants that you're working with. Some are harmful to humans. Some are harmful to our pets. And some can be okay unless you're pregnant. Some are okay to touch with your hands but not burn. So know your herbs and plants and be careful when you're using them, when you're handling them, when you're burning them. Do your research. Apples are another great fruit around this time of year. Autumn is traditionally when they're harvested, but they can also be used in different kinds of divination. According to Celtic legends, an apple branch bearing ripe fruit blossoms as well as an unopened bud was a magical key to the underworld. And I could see how that would be considered magical because how rare would it be to have all three of those things on the same branch? I've never seen it. I haven't either. So I definitely understand why they consider that magical. And then there's pomegranate. It's used in association with the underworld and can be used for communicating with the dead. And of course, there's pumpkins and gourds. They're harvested in the autumn. We can carve protection symbols into them and sigils and place them in a window or by the door to keep out evil spirits. They're just pretty, too, to put bright orange pumpkins out on the porch or something. I just think it just it's a very autumn thing to do. The rowan tree was considered sacred to the Celts. Rowan branches and berries are still used in parts of Scotland and England to keep evil spirits out of one's home. It's also believed that if you plant a rowan tree near a grave, it will prevent the dead from rising. And then there are lots of foods and beverages. There are apples and cinnamon, grain, pears. There's the pomegranate, pumpkin, root vegetables, nuts, sage, cider, wine. And there's, I don't know about you, but there are foods that I specifically associate with autumn. I mean, people think about pumpkin pie and pumpkin bread and stuff like that, of course. So we'll find that some of the the things that we eat are the things that are harvested in the season. And then things like cinnamon just pair well with the apples and the pumpkin. But one of the things I always make for Samhain is my grandmother's apple cake. She had this wonderful apple cake recipe, and it helps me connect to her. Whenever I make it, I think about her. So I always make that at Samhain. And it's delicious. (laughs) There's lots of oils and incenses we can use as well. Allspice, cinnamon, and ginger. Those are the spices that we often use in recipes in the fall. There's also mugwort, myrrh, patchouli, pine, rosemary, sage, sandalwood, sweetgrass, and wormwood. These are all things that we associate with this time of year. And then tools for Samhain, besom, cauldron, 
Ouija board, which Ouija is a brand name for spirit boards, pendulum, runes, scrying bowl, as the veil is thin, any form of divination. And those are all great tools for divination. They really are. The besom and the cauldron are just great tools to have as a witch. But these other things you mentioned are great for divination. And we'll talk more about magical tools and divination in later episodes. There are also deities that we can work with at Samhain, if that's something you like to do. A couple of gods that we associate with Samhain are Hades and Anubis, and the goddesses Hecate, Caridwen, and Kali. So this has given us a really good overview of Samhain, and it really is just an overview because there's so much information And so we'll be circling back around and learning more about these things, and we'll do a deeper dive in future Samhain episodes. But before we go, let's talk a little bit about witches. I mean, it's October after all. Samhain is a witch's holiday. It's a witch's month. So let's talk about witches. Every culture has had women and men who practice magic and healing, like the ancient Celts who practiced healing and divination. Witchcraft is a system of practices that we consider magical. And it's born out of lots of magical traditions around the world. Some people believe it came from Druid practices. Others believe it was simply handed down from generation to generation. And we'll talk about magical traditions later. But we know that as the cultures have melted together over the years, they have formed what we today practice as modern witchcraft. Witchcraft was and still is at its core a system of practices we consider to be magical. The word witch comes from the Anglo-Saxon word witche, meaning wise one. Over time, it was a word used to describe those who practiced magic, healing, and prophecy in many cultures. Christianity's extremely limited beliefs and treatment of women was difficult for the Celtic women to accept. When the Celts continued to refuse to convert to Christianity, Christians in power began murdering them. Some believe these murders led to the witch hunt and then the burning times. We're going to end this with the story of the Halloween witch. I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with it, but it was at a Samhain event at your house, Sophie, that I first heard this story. And it's it's beautiful. If any of you have wondered where we get that stereotypical image of a witch with stringy hair and green skin and gnarled fingers, this story might help you understand. The author of which is unknown. Each year they parade her about, the traditional Halloween witch, misshapen green face, stringy scraps of hair, and a toothless mouth beneath her disfigured nose, gnarled knobby fingers twisted into a claw, protracting from a bent and twisted torso that lurches on wobbly legs. Most think this abject image to be the creation of a prejudiced mind or merely a Halloween caricature. I disagree. I believe this to be how witches were really seen. Consider that most witches were women, were abducted in the night, and smuggled into dungeons or prisons under the secrecy of darkness to be presented by the light of day as a confessed witch. Few, if any, saw a frightened, normal-looking woman being dragged into a secret room filled with instruments of torture to be questioned until she confessed to anything that was suggested to her and to give names or whatever would stop the questions. Crowds saw the aberration denounced to the world as a self-proclaimed witch. As the witch was paraded through the town en route to be burned, hanged, drowned, stoned, or disposed of in various other forms of Christian love, 
all created to free and save her soul from her depraved body. The jeering crowds viewed the results of hours of torture. The face, bruised and broken by countless blows, bore a hue of sickly green. The once warm and loving smile gone, replaced by a grimace of broken teeth and torn gums that leers beneath a battered and disfigured nose. The disheveled hair conceals bleeding gaps of torn scalp from whence cruel hands had torn away the lovely tresses. Broken, twisted hands clutched the wagon for support. Fractured fingers locked like groping claws to steady her broken body. All semblance of humanity gone. This was truly a demon, a bride of Satan, a witch. I revere this Halloween crone and hold her sacred above all. I honor her courage and listen to her warnings of the dark side of humanity. Each year I shed tears of respect. And that's the story of the Halloween witch. Sadly for some witches, October is the only month they feel like they are truly able to be themselves. Everyone else just chalks it up to them celebrating Halloween all month long. But more and more witches are finding their voice. We are everywhere. And we have so much more to talk about and so much more to teach and learn. We hope you'll join us.